just like to just not even do any of this, but I really feel like that we need to do this because we're going to talk more tonight about being aware of our righteousness, righteousness consciousness, and how the righteousness consciousness is what supports the oneness consciousness. And we're still talking about fellowship with God. We're still talking about oneness with God, positional oneness, functional oneness, what those things mean. And, and we're going to really focus and concentrate tonight, uh, the balance of the, the majority of our time, on, on this grace of God that has made us right and that has reconciled us to God. But I want to make sure you connect that with some other things. So let's go through some of this first part really quickly. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1.9 says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So in order to understand the fellowship that Father God desires to have with you and me, we have to understand first the fellowship that he has with his son because he's called us to have that same fellowship. And so if it's a, if it's a characteristic of the fellowship that Father God enjoys with Jesus, it's the same fellowship that he desires to have with you and me. And so as we talk about his grace tonight, I want you to keep this desire in God's heart uh, uh, for you and me in mind. In, in other words, we've said in previous uh, sessions, messages on this subject, that fellowship with God is the ultimate why. It's the ultimate context. You'll never understand why God has done for you what he's done for you and what he's given to you, what he's given to you and what he's made you, you know, why he's made you what he's made you, unless you understand this desire that he has for you to have fellowship with him, the same fellowship that he enjoys um, with Jesus. We see this echoed in 1 John 1 and 3, that which we have seen and heard we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So we see that a call to fellowship is a call to positional and functional oneness with God. So we're brought into that position when we're born again, but then functioning as one with God is something that we grow up into as our minds are renewed from faith to faith, uh, grace for grace, and glory to glory. So as born-again believers, to confirm this oneness, positional oneness with God, we see that we are the bride and we are the body of Christ. Now, we also see examples of positional and functional oneness. Fellowship among the members of the Godhead enable Father, Son, and Spirit to function as one. So God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are one, one God in three persons, and we've looked in previous times together at how they all function together as one. Now, Jesus on the earth is our example of positional and functional oneness because Jesus understood that he was positionally one with God, but then we also see him functioning as one with God, and we see that he declared that when he said, I and my Father are one, that's John chapter 10, verse 30. He also acknowledged uh, John 5.30, the first part of that verse, I can of myself do nothing. And then we see in John 14, he says, the Father who dwells in me does the works. Now, these three verses I've been um, really meditating on, and, and to meditate means to mutter to oneself, confess, because these things are the example um, for you and me to understand and follow. Now, we've, we've been given this terminology by the Holy Spirit, and it's called oneness consciousness. Oneness consciousness. It's like, what? That's such a big word, okay? I heard uh, Brother Hagen um, use the expression, be God inside-minded. Be God inside-minded. And that's a, maybe a, a, a simpler way to say the same thing. 
that we are, are mindful, we are aware that, um, that, that God is in us, that, that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so when we, again, look to our example Jesus, we see that he was aware of his Father dwelling in him. The Father who dwells in me does the works. And it was that awareness uh, of his Father dwelling in him, amen, that, um, that, you know, he wasn't afraid of anything. He never saw an impossible situation in anything his Father instructed him to do. He did it, okay? So this awareness of his Father dwelling in him, this consciousness of his Father dwelling in him, this awareness and consciousness of his one with God, his oneness with God, rather, it informed his thoughts, words, and actions. Now, another verse that, again, powerfully connected to this, 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells, that's, that's another important word, dwells in you? So he's saying, are you, are you not aware? Multiple translations read, do you not realize Realize means to be fully aware of. And when you realize something, that means it just became real to you. Real to you. Amen. So it's one thing for the Holy Spirit to live in you. And if you've been born again, he does. It's another thing, though, for you to uh, realize that he lives in you, for it to be real to you. And, and the more we realize and the more we are aware of the Holy Spirit in us, amen, that, that consciousness, that awareness, praise God, um, empowers us and, and emboldens us, amen, to, um, to do what God told us to do and to live the life that he created and called us to live. So when Jesus said that I and my Father are one, he was expressing his oneness consciousness when he boldly declared, I and my Father are one. Now, here's where we're transitioning because we've said that it's impossible to have a oneness consciousness without first having a righteousness consciousness. Okay, am I going too fast for you? You guys keeping up? Okay. Again, these, I know some of you weren't here for last week and week before, but, but what we're talking about here, again, our aware of, conscious of, realizing our oneness with God, that will, that will be impossible unless we first realize and have an understanding of our, an awareness of, uh, a realization of our righteousness, our right standing with God. And so this is a new slide. Realizing your right standing with God must come first. You will never realize your oneness with God without first realizing your right standing with Him. Your right standing with Him. And so we said this before as well. Positional oneness will never translate into functional oneness without a oneness consciousness. In other words, how do we go, born again, we've been made one with God. How do we go from being made one with God to functioning like Jesus did as one with God? We've got to become aware. We, we, we've got to realize this realization, this revelation, this understanding. Amen. Now, we then brought another quote-unquote consciousness into this discussion, and that is the idea of a sin consciousness. And far too many of God's children continue to live with a sin consciousness despite having been forgiven and made free from sin. Sin consciousness is to functional oneness what sin was to positional oneness. Now, I wasn't exactly sure where I needed to put that point in my notes, and so I put it in here about three or four times, okay, to make sure that we emphasize this. Because this one right here, if I'd have had 35 more minutes last Wednesday night, we would have... Uh, started opening up this package and this box, all right? And so I want to I make sure you understand what we're saying here. Sin consciousness is to functional oneness what sin was 
to positional oneness, all right? Some of you look a little confused and lost. I, I know you're thinking. I know you're dialed in. I know some of us had a really long days, okay? Holy Spirit's going to help us. You believing with me for his help tonight? Uh, listen to me, and I'm, I'm just telling you that, that the devil does not want you to hear and understand what the Lord wants to say to you tonight. He has tried your whole life to keep you. And I'm not exaggerating, and I'm not being overly dramatic here. I'm telling you, Satan has tried your whole life to prevent you from ever hearing what the Holy Spirit wants to say to you tonight. So, amen. Deep down inside, reach in there, get a hold, lean in, let the Holy Spirit help you. Amen. All right. I'm using some big words. I'm not trying to use those big words. I'm just saying that when we, when we live with a, a constant reminder and, and memory of our sin, and religion wants to remind you of your sin, and they spiritualize it by saying, you got to remember where you came from, or you'll, if you ever forget where you came from, you'll wind up going back. Listen, we ain't going back to where we came from. We're not, that's, that doesn't interest us anymore. The thought of that, see, the, the, this idea that, well, if you forget where you came from, you'll go back. No, no, no. He's taken us somewhere we can't get to by ourselves. And we can't focus on, on going back and going forward at the same time. So, Father God desires oneness with you. He desires it so much that he has ruthlessly, thoroughly, and finally, completely dealt with your sin. Because sin separates us from God. Sin separates us from God. And so, Father does not want you to be separated from him. Being separated from him is the opposite of, of the very reason he created you in the first place. He created you to be one with him. He created you to have fellowship with him. He created you to, to, to enjoy him, him and you, you enjoy him and him enjoy you and sin prevents that sin severs that sin separates us from God and so when we think about sin and what sin was to our positional oneness notice past tense there if you've been born again your sin problem has been dealt with and you are now positionally one with God and if you've been born again you will be positionally one with him to the to forever for, for, there's there it will never end that's what eternal life means he didn't say, I'll give you temporary life. He said, I'll give you eternal life. So sin consciousness, though. In other words, if we, if, if we just allow the enemy to continue to remind us of our past, remind us of our sin, remind us of where we're wrong, remind us of where we've been wrong, remind us of what we've done, all the embarrassing, shameful sin and this and that, and you lied and you stole and you did. Be, 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 be. See, the devil wants you to constantly be focused on those things because he never wants you to, to recognize that the person that did those things was buried in an unmarked grave with Jesus and that you you have become a new creation in Christ Jesus. And that this is, this is why the, the Apostle Paul said, I've wronged no man. The Apostle Paul even said that when he, in his current born-again state, committed a sin, that it wasn't him that did it. Because the new man he became in Christ Jesus, the Bible says that person can't sin anymore. It was residue from the old man in his thinking that led him down those sinful paths, not who he truly is in Christ. That's a, amen, all right. So it's not enough. That's the, the point of this, this particular slide, in other words, the, the, this sentence, the reason this sentence is so important to what the Lord is, is, is saying to us tonight is he dealt with our sin, and thank God he did. 
But if we maintain a sin consciousness instead of a righteousness consciousness after he's dealt with our sin, the sin consciousness will be to our functional oneness what sin used to be to our positional oneness. In other words, it's still preventing and hindering uh, our ability and, and God's desire to have fellowship with him. So it's one thing to be made righteous. It's another thing altogether to live with a righteousness consciousness. Remember, God did not create you to rule over you. He created you to rule through you. And Jesus demonstrated for us dominion through fellowship. He ruled over circumstances. He ruled ruled over devils and demons. He ruled over every uh, negative thing that was brought to this planet because of the curse of sin. He ruled over nature. He ruled over death. He ruled over poverty. He ruled over lack. He ruled over devils and demons. He ruled over sickness. He, he, he ruled, are you, are you following what I'm saying? He ruled over all of these things. And, and it's, it's your destiny as well, Romans 5 and 17. For by one man's offense, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will do what will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So we've said this multiple times. We'll say it again tonight. You must be made righteous and, all caps, A-N-D. You must be made righteous and then have a righteousness consciousness if you're going to rule and reign in life. A righteous man living with a sin consciousness will not rule and reign in life. Now, I was talking about this a moment ago. Let me just, I'm building towards some key things here. So we know from scriptures that sin separated us from God and sin caused spiritual death and death means separation. Separation from God is the opposite of fellowship with God. So this is why Father desires to purge both our sin and the consciousness of our sin. Father wasn't just, see he had a temporary solution to keep us alive, if you will, an animal sacrifice. But he wanted something not to cover over our sin. He wanted something that would purge it, that would would not only take the sin away, but that it would so thoroughly remove the sin from us to never be held against us again that it could then provide the, the, the means by which our very consciousness of sin could be purged as well. Have I mentioned this already? Sin consciousness is the functional consciousness. Sin consciousness is the functional oneness. What sin was to positional oneness. I guess maybe I could have just said it this way and saved ourselves a few minutes to get to some other things. What I'm, what I'm wanting you to see tonight, first and foremost, is Father's desire for fellowship with you. Fellowship involves being in the position of one with God. And, as, and when we were sinners and separated sin separated us from God, there's no fellowship with God. But, but Jesus took care of our sin. And I'm going to explain to you tonight how thoroughly and ruthlessly and finally and completely he took care of it, okay? He took care of our sin so that now we've been made one with God, okay? But I've got this deeper in my notes. Let's, let's, let's watch it this way. Let's say it this way, all right? Imagine for a moment, and I'm, I'm sure nobody in this room, but, but maybe you know somebody, right, and you can, you can relate to it that way, okay? Let's say you owe somebody a bunch of money, and um, you, you walk in a grocery store, get you a loaf of bread and some milk, and you see them over there in the produce, 
You going to go give him a hug? <laughs> no, you're probably going to do this, right? Why? Because there is a debt, right, that, that you owe to that person, and, and it's hindering. See, this is why Satan loves things like offenses and where we get offended and where we have things that we never forgive people for and all this stuff, because it, it, it hinders our fellowship. Okay? So let's just say, watch this now. Watch this, though, okay? Because I've, I have seen this so many times over the years here at Heritage, and thank God it's not ever happened again in Jesus' name. But people who have needed some type of financial assistance, and the church gladly, willingly helped them, okay? So much so that now when the church does that, I explain to people, please, we don't broadcast these things because so many times we would help folks and we would never see them again. Why? Because now they feel like, oh, my dad, they this, they that, they think this about me. And notice what it just did. It just interrupted fellowship. A consciousness, an awareness of what these people might think about me, this, so forth and so on. All this, it's a mindset, right? So it's one thing for Father God to deal with your sin, but see, as long as you have this, I'm not worthy because of what I've done, and, and I'm this and I'm that, and, and um, you know, I've had people tell me before, you know, I, I feel like I'd be a hypocrite if I worship God because of the things I've done. See, again, notice what's happening. The, the sin's been dealt with, but the awareness of sin, the awareness of sin that we continue to cling to and continue to remember and continue to hold on to, it's, con- it's continuing to, to hinder and prevent the kind of fellowship that Father God wants you to have with Himself and the kind of fellowship that He wants you to have with other members of His body. So sin is the enemy of fellowship with God. Therefore, God has dealt ruthlessly, thoroughly, and finally with our sin. Now, Romans 5, 8 through 11. Thank you, Jesus. It said that God demonstrates his own love towards us. Notice demonstrates, not demonstrated, okay? He demonstrates his own love towards us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Justified by his blood means to be made right with God before God in the eyes of God. To be made right just as if I had never sinned. Justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Now, justified by the blood of Jesus, again, means just as if I had never sinned. Same root word, as we find in the original language that we get our word righteousness from. And again, reconciled to God means to be reestablished in oneness and fellowship with Him. So let's take the definition for reconciliation and insert it in place of the word reconcile or reconciliation in, and read verses 9, 10, and 11 again. Much more then, having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies, we were reestablished in oneness and fellowship to God through the death of His Son, 
much more having been reestablished in oneness and fellowship, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God. Come on now. We rejoice in God. When you figure out that you've been made one with God and what he's done for you to make you one with himself, you will rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the oneness and the fellowship. We received it. We were made it. Amen. So notice now, how have we been reconciled to God? We've been reconciled to God through the death of His Son. Consider for a moment the price that Father paid to make you right before Him in His eyes and reestablish you in oneness and fellowship with Himself. That's what it was about. That's what it was about. That, that one thing right there ought to tell you how much He loves you, how much He desires you, how much He needs you, how much He wants you, how much He longs for you. Would to God that we long for Him the way He longs for us. Would to God that we were willing to pay one scintilla of the price to be one with Him that He paid to be one with us. Do you see how righteousness, being made right with God, is a prerequisite for reconciliation, oneness and fellowship with God? Do you see this? You you can't have one without the other. It was Jesus' death that reestablished us in oneness and fellowship with God. But it is His life. Come on now. It's His life that sustains us and keeps us in that position of oneness and fellowship. That's what he's saying. He's saying if when we were enemies, we were reestablished, we were made right with God in the eyes of God, justified just as if I'd never sinned. If God did that for us while we were enemies, he reestablished us into oneness and fellowship with him. If the death of his son did that for us, how much more now will we be saved from wrath? Wrath is, is damnation and eternity in hell. How much more will we be saved from separation, eternal separation from God by his life, by the life of his son? What are we to understand from that? What we're to understand from that is that it was his death that reestablished us into oneness and fellowship with God, but it's his eternal life that sustains us in that position. We're one with God because we're one with Jesus, and we're one with Jesus because Jesus became one of us and did for us what we could not do for ourselves. I mentioned this last week. I want to touch on it briefly, but I, 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 please hear me out. And those of you that are watching online, please, please let the Holy Spirit speak to you on this. It's time because he did what he did for you for his sake. He paid the price that he paid so that he could have the same fellowship with you that he's always had with Jesus. He allowed Jesus to become your sin so that Jesus could take your sin away. He allowed Jesus to become your sin and He allowed your sin to separate Jesus from Him. When Jesus became your sin, His um, Father turned His back on Him. Sin separates 
Jesus became your sin. And your sin separated Jesus from God the Father. And He died. And He went to hell for your, uh, on your behalf. Death, hell, and the grave. But because Jesus had never committed a sin of His own, on the third day, Father God raised Him from the dead. But when He raised Him from the dead, Jesus became the firstborn from the dead. But He's not the only born from the dead. Because He was born from the dead, we've been born from the dead. And we are no longer dead. Which means we are no longer separated from God. And because we're no longer separated from God, we have eternal life. In, etern- in the same way that death means separation, life means oneness. There is no life in nature of God apart from oneness with God. We've been reconnected, reunited. Are you, so do you see what I'm saying? It was our sin that brought the death that separated us from Him. He had to deal with the sin. Jesus became our sin. He took the blame and the punishment in order to tip the scales of justice in our favor. Father God had to find somebody who was more undeserving of, of, of being punished for sin than all of us together collectively were deserving of punishment for sin. And when Father God turned His back on Jesus, it was the hardest thing that He's ever done. This is a God who breathes galaxies out out of his mouth but the hardest thing he's ever done was to turn his back on Jesus and the only way he was able to do it was when he turned his back on Jesus he knew that he would never have to turn his back on one of his children ever again which means those who call upon Jesus and receive this abundance of grace and this gift of salvation when we are made one with God we are positionally one with God forever made one with God because of the death of Jesus sustained in that position of oneness not because of who we are not because of what we've done but because of who Jesus is and because of what he's done to dare insinuate That our positional oneness with God is temporary is to cast shadows and to cast questions and to cast doubt on the very blood that has redeemed us. It's in essence to say what Jesus did wasn't enough. It's in essence saying what Jesus did was enough to get us there, but it wasn't enough to keep us there. My friend, his blood was enough to get us there and his blood is enough to keep us there. He has purged us from sin. He has cleansed us. He has taken away our sin. Our standing before and our oneness with God are not based upon who we are, what we've done. It's based upon who Jesus is and what he has done. Now, a relationship, will, a relationship mindset will only confuse you here. I'm not exactly sure. Let's see what will happen if I hit this. Uh, I don't know why that didn't pick up. That was one of my favorite points of the night, but I can tell it to you. Amen? Let me tell you what the rest of that says, okay? There's no such thing as on-again, off-again oneness. Now, you can have an on-again, off-again relationship. And because people have a relationship mindset with God instead of a fellowship mindset with God, it's very easy for the devil to deceive them into thinking that they can have an on-again, off-again relationship with God. There's no such thing as on-again, off-again oneness. Now, God's dealt ruthlessly with our sin. You've got to hang around here for a few minutes. Let me get at least some of this out, okay? I mean, you don't have to. You can leave, but I'm not... 
Amen. I'll just, I'll just be in here still talking. Amen. Praise God. Okay. I'm just being silly. What did he say? First John two twelve. I write to you little children because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Not just for your benefit, but for God's benefit. Forgiveness means to purge, to cleanse, to remove completely. It's related to this passage right here, John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day, John, this is John the Baptist, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This expression, take away, from the original language, this is what it means. It means to take up and place upon oneself, to take up and carry away, to bear upon oneself, to remove with the idea of lifting away from, usually with the idea of violence and authority. What I told you last week, when Father God got ready to deal with your sin and my sin, he didn't, he didn't mess around with it. He didn't play around with it. He dealt with it. The Lord impressed that upon me that he said, I dealt with sin ruthlessly. I didn't know this definition of take away until today. And I was like, well, there's the confirmation. There it is right there. Usually with the idea of violence and authority. Violence and authority. Isaiah 43, 25, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember, I will not remember your sins. Hebrews 8 and 12, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. Now, man, there's a lot of stuff right here. I got to get to this part, though. I'm skipping down to some stuff, and we'll come back maybe and get some of that later, all right? Okay, Holy Spirit. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. John 14, 16, and 17. Jesus speaking, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. Speaking of the Holy Spirit, right? That he may abide, abides a fellowship word, with you. Somebody say it, please. Forever. Now, religion will tell you he'll, he'll abide with you until you mess up. Religion will tell you he, he, he'll abide with you as long as you don't relapse. He'll, he'll abide with you as long as you do everything right and get everything right and don't ever make a mistake. But if you make a mistake, if you commit a sin, if you go back to your old way of doing things and whatever, he's, he's out of there, man. He's going to depart from you. No, he's not. That's Old Testament. That's Old, that's old Testament. That's not, that's not new. That's not new. Jesus said that he may abide with, keyword there, with you forever, but he doesn't stop there. Verse 17, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells. There's another fellowship word, right? Abide dwells with you and will be in you. So just to be clear, how long did Jesus say the Holy Spirit would abide with, and there's a typo there, but you got it, dwell in us forever. Abide and dwell again are fellowship words. Now I'm going to say something strong, and I've never, I've, I said this a couple of weeks ago, I really thought, Lord, you know, am, am I just being too strong here, or, you know, 
And, and I just feel like he's confirmed. You can disagree with, with me, but at least hear me out before you just write me off completely. But, but Satan, first of all, if it's not true, the devil's behind it. Period. Okay? And Satan is behind any teaching that questions the eternal permanence of our salvation. The devil is the one who wants you to question your salvation. The devil is the one who wants you to never be confident, never have rest, never know that you know, never find that, that, that place of, 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 of his, God's words forever settled in heaven where his word becomes settled in you and settles you always wants you again that's part of sin consciousness i asked the lord about it again today he brought he directed me to galatians he said i inspired paul to say if anyone preaches any other gospel to you let him be accursed that wasn't just paul feeling his oats now father dealt thoroughly ruthlessly and finally with our sin through the finished work of jesus Sin consciousness is, to, I told you I put it in here a bunch of times. Sin consciousness is to functional oneness what sin was to our positional oneness. Let me get to, amen. Let me just talk to you. All right, I'm, I'm, amen. Y'all are like, keep going, keep going. So no, these brothers got to get back. They have a, amen. So they had stayed. They were up earlier than a lot of people listening to me right now. And amen. So I'm, that's not, it's not like we got to go. They, they have to go. Okay. And we're thankful for the leadership of the foundry that allows them to come. Amen. Okay. All right. You're going to hear this again and in greater detail next week. Okay. But. The Bible is very clear in multiple verses that Jesus is one sacrifice for all sin for all time. Okay? Now, he paid it all. And he paid it in full. One sacrifice for all sin for all time means that he paid for any sin debt from the past, any present sin debt, any future sin debt. This is what it means for him to take it away. All right? Now, imagine for a moment that someone has fallen behind in their mortgage payments, their house payments. They're six months behind. They've not made a mortgage payment in six months, okay? And the bank is threatening to take their house. And someone steps in and pays those six past due payments. Does that person still have a mortgage? Yeah. Thankfully... They're back current, 
and they're going to do their best to make November's payment and then December's payment. Okay. So because someone came and paid what was owed from the past, that doesn't mean they took away the mortgage. See, in order for the mortgage to be taken away, all of the past payments that haven't been paid would have to be paid. The present payment would have to be paid. And all future payments would have to be paid. You see this? We have this idea that Jesus just came and paid our past due sin. Right? We got saved and Jesus, all this sin debt that we owed up in the moment we got saved, thank you Jesus for paying. Now listen to me please. He paid for your past sin. He paid for your present sin. And he paid for your future sin. He took it away. You can't take it away unless you cover all of it. You see this, right? Stand with me tonight. One payment for all payments for all time. That's amazing grace right there. That's amazing grace. And you say, Pastor Mark, that, that sounds really good. Uh, would you stay around? I got probably 15 or 20 verses right here that support everything I just said to you. See, as long as we have this idea that he only paid for our sin up, in, up until the point that we were saved. Somebody said this one time. They said, Pastor Mark, I, you know, I don't understand how God could forgive me for future sin. When he forgave you, all your sin was future. When he forgave you, you weren't even alive to commit a sin yet. It was all future when he forgave you. He took it away. The blood of a bull, the blood of a goat, it covered sin. It covered the past due sin. It did nothing for the sin that was committed. If somebody sinned after they offered that goat... Guess what they had to do? They had to offer another goat. Jesus never has to suffer again because he paid it all. See, that's the thing the devil never wants you to know. He never wants you to understand. And religion will say to people like me, you can't tell people that because they'll use it as an excuse to sin. We've never needed an excuse to sin. But when you really understand how much he loves you and how much he longs for you and how much he's done for you and everything that he's given you, 1 John 3, uh, verse 3 says that it will motivate you to purify your life even as Christ is pure. Have just the opposite effect. Grace will teach you to live righteously. Grace will teach you to live soberly in this present evil age. Titus 2, 11. Amen. Amen. Father, thank you. Thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you for the price that you paid to make us right before you and to reestablish us in oneness and fellowship with you. 
It took the death of your son to make this opportunity available to people here upon the earth, Lord. And I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful, Father, that I heard about it and that you gave me the humility and the faith and, and the gift of repentance, Lord, uh, and, a, and, a, and enough sense to say yes. Thank you, Father, for your goodness and your mercy. Amen.